I remember as a kid uh, running to the playground, trying to get to one of the few remaining swings, right? You've probably been there. And I remember if I got there and somebody got to the swing before I did, my response was always the same. That's not fair. Now, there's really nothing unfair about it. They just got there faster than me, and it was typically a girl. I think that was what was unfair in my mind. But when something seems unfair, it's unsettling in our soul. And what's true for us is true for Solomon. As we will see this morning, he is unsettled with the reality of injustice in this world in which we live. But last week, we had a unique experience with Solomon. For a moment, he had a a little bit of clarity in his life. He, He began to take his eyes off himself, and he extended his search for answers beyond the limits of this world. And when he looked beyond the sun, he began to see the sovereignty of God. He began to recognize this divinely ordained order and purpose to all of life to the point that he was able to proclaim that there is an appointed time for everything and that God in his goodness makes everything beautiful in its time. In the midst of his own imperfection, Solomon, if just for a moment, caught a glimpse of God's glory. He came to this clarity only because his own efforts to find personal fulfillment had failed. He could not be satisfied with worldly wisdom and worldly pleasure, worldly power, worldly wealth. He had all of those things, but no matter how much he acquired and what he accomplished, he still was left longing for something more. And only when he looked to God did he begin to see something different. He began to realize that our hearts are empty in this world because we were made for something more. That God put eternity in our hearts. He created us to live in a life-giving relationship with Him. I think Augustine said it best one time when he said that God made us for himself, and that our hearts are restless until we rest in God. I think we all know that's true, and I hope that we've experienced that to some degree, but I also know how easy it is for that rest to be disturbed in this world in which we live. We're unsettled, as we should be, with unresolved injustice with unspeakable evil, with undeserved oppression. It surrounds us. And so if we're honest with ourselves, we have to ask questions like, where is the sovereignty of God in the midst of all this chaos? Where is His righteousness in the midst of the injustice? Those are some really good questions, and they deserve some honest answers. And a good place for us to begin, if we're going to be honest, is the recognition that life in this world is not fair. It's just not fair. But why is that true? Why? And more importantly, what's God going to do about it? That's what we'll consider in our passage this morning. So before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, we want to be honest. 
We don't want to play church. We don't want to pretend to have it all together. We want to be honest before you with things that are in our heart that cause us to, to question concerns that we have, places where we feel empty. And we want to ask, Lord, do you have an answer for that? Is there a truth that would satisfy my soul in ways that nothing else will? And if so, Lord, we ask with all our heart this morning that by the power of their spirit, through the truth of your word, that you would speak that into our lives this morning. And that we would be different when we leave than we were when we came because we embrace that truth with all our heart. Lord, let it be. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, after Solomon's brief moment of clarity, let's look at where he goes next in chapter 3, verse 16. It says in verse 16, Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there again is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I think in some ways Solomon is returning to his worldly view where he determines that life under the sun, life within the limits of this world is simply not fair. He says in verse 16, where the hope is to find justice, there's wickedness in its place. In other words, worldly justice is inherently flawed. And as a result, we find all kinds of corruption all over the world. It's an undeniable reality. For example, even in our own country, we know that racism is alive and well. Now, it's not right. We want it to go away. But the fact of the matter is, it's still there. People are still judged by the color of their skin. And you know what? If you were to go to another country where you're the minority, the very same thing would be true of you. And that's because there are judgments that are built into the human heart that are inherently flawed. After all, how many times have you met someone for the first time and your first impression is one thing and only after you got to know them did you realize how terribly wrong you were, right? Maybe you thought they were a really good person only to find out, no, not, not so good. Or maybe you thought at first glance, this is not a good person only to realize this is a pretty awesome individual. I just missed it. Well, that's why the justice in our world is so corrupted is because our judgments are inherently flawed. And there is no system free from corruption that exists in our world today. In fact, we all know that there are innocent people in our prison system right now. People who have been wrongly accused of crimes that they did not commit. It's true, it has always been true, and it will forever be true. And there are even a greater number of people who are guilty who are out there walking the street as we speak. Solomon is correct. Life in this world is not fair. There is no amount of reform that will make it right. Because the problem, get this, the problem is not an issue with our justice system. The problem is an issue with our heart. In fact, let me be candid here. We will never be able to remove racism 
as a reality in the world in which we live. As much as we want it to be, it's just not going to happen. We cannot stop the innocent from being exploited. There will be child abuse. There will be sex trafficking. There will be terrorism. Wickedness simply cannot be eradicated from life in this world. And and I'm not saying, and so please don't hear me say, that we shouldn't confront these injustices because we absolutely should. But Solomon is right. There is something deeply wrong with this world. And no matter how hard you and I might try, we are not going to make it right. Jeremiah said it best in the Bible when he said, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. All that is wrong in this world is the result of sin in man's heart. So here's the question. Is God just going to let that go on forever? Is this just the way it's always going to be? Apparently not, because Solomon says that there is a day, an appointed time, for God's judgment. We may not be able to eradicate injustice from the face of the earth, but there is a day, there is an appointed time in which God, the righteous judge, will stand and make all things right. He is the one who will confront wickedness. And He is the one who will bring judgment to all men. And that judgment will be final. In other words, no probation, no purgatory, no second chances. Solomon said there's an appointed time for everything, and that includes God's judgment. And he says that day has been set. It is on the calendar, the divine calendar. It is set. And what that means is that each day we live is one day closer to the day of God's judgment. And on that day, A holy God will judge both the righteous and the wicked. And what we need to hear there is that we will all stand before the throne of God. Look at how he continues in verse 18. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All come from dust and return to the dust. Solomon is teaching us that before that day, God has not left us to ourselves. He says in verse 18, God tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. The word tested here is to be exposed, to reveal. For example, just think about that math quiz you took, right? It exposes how much you know about quadratic equations. It brings your knowledge into the light. And God does the very same thing with what is happening in our heart. He he puts us in situations in life that, that test us, that expose what is on the inside to be revealed on the outside. And very often, at least in my life, That's not very pretty. I might say hurtful things. I might turn to destructive habits. I might isolate and hide. For example, God has used my marriage to test my heart 
and revealed how selfish I can be. God has used my family to test my heart and to reveal how critical I can be. God is exposing what is in my heart that is otherwise hidden, but there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this because he, he wants me to understand what is in my heart so that I can be prepared for, if you will, that, that final exam. Again, think about that math quiz. Now, wouldn't it be much better to fail a math quiz early on to determine where you fall short and what you need to know so that when the big test comes along, you're ready? Well, Solomon is saying that God uses both life and death in order to get our attention. He exposes our sin to reveal where we fall short. He confronts our mortality to help us understand that we have limited time. God is preparing us for the final judgment. He does not leave us to ourselves. He makes it explicitly clear what is wrong within our hearts. Look at how he continues in verse 21. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? I've seen that nothing is better than the man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? I believe Solomon is asking some honest questions here, and he's facing the reality that both man and beast share something in common. They both eventually die. But his question is, is their destiny the same? Do we all come from dust and then return to the dust and then everything's done? Is that, is that all there is? Because if it is, Solomon is absolutely right. Life is completely meaningless. Especially if the righteous and the wicked have the same destiny. And injustice remains eternally unresolved, if that's what this is all about, he's absolutely right. Completely meaningless. Futile. If life is infinitely unfair, then maybe we should just make the best of life while we can. Because as Solomon wonders, maybe, maybe, maybe this life is all there is. Maybe this is it. but I want you to think about that thought for just a moment. Can we really find joy and peace in this life if this life is all there is? I mean, if you really just kind of stop and think about that for a minute, I don't know about you, but for me, that's an incredibly depressing thought, right? If this life is all there is, I want out world filled with unresolved injustice, with evil, with oppression? Do we just ignore those realities and just carry on and, and make the best of life while we can? Is that, is that the answer? Well, I think it's only okay to ignore the injustice for us as long as that justice doesn't affect us. I think our, our coping mism is okay to ignore the injustice around us as long as that injustice doesn't impact us. Like Solomon, we live that life that is centered around us, believing that the world is good as long as everything is good in my little world. But maybe, 
maybe it's not okay to stop there. Maybe we need to take a second look. Maybe we need to reconsider that dilemma, which is what Solomon does. Look at how he continues in chapter 4, verse 1. Then I looked again. See, he, like us, cannot stop there. It is not okay to say that this world is all there is, so just do the best you can, because if you look hard enough at what's going on in the world, it has to unsettle your soul. He says, I looked again, and at the acts of the oppression which are being done under the sun, and behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed. They had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppression was power. They had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who had never existed, who's never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. The only way to be satisfied with life in the world is to ignore the injustice and oppression that surrounds us. But when Solomon at least for a moment of honesty, look beyond his own little world. He could no longer live in the comfort of his peaceful tranquility. He was disturbed as he should be, as we should be, by the reality of of oppression that exists all around us. Solomon was, in fact, disturbed to the point where he said, I wish I'd never been born, even to the point of looking at death and saying, that would be a better option. And I know that seems really dark, but I'm not so sure that at some level, most everyone in this room hasn't felt something similar, where the reality of life, whatever that might be at any given moment, just feels like too much to bear. How many of you have been so overwhelmed with whatever situation you're in, your thought to yourself was, I want out, want out, want out of this marriage. I want out of this job. I want out of this school. I want out of this situation. And I think that's where we find Solomon. We probably have had that feeling from time to time because we realize as we look around the world and sometimes that world impacts us and we have to confront the reality that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not okay. We see the unresolved injustice, the evil, the oppression. But perhaps more importantly, we see the sin that exists in our own heart. And that there's no amount of good that can take that evil away. Are you okay with that? Can you sleep at night if you are? Now, there are probably many of you at this point expect me to say, so let's go make a difference in the world. Let's go, let's go feed the hungry. Let's go shelter the homeless. Let's go rescue the oppressed. And those are not bad things, but sometimes I think we do those things simply to make ourselves feel better. Because we convince ourselves, at least I did my part in making the world a better place. But let me be explicitly clear here. Our goal is not to make the world a better place. Our goal is to proclaim the only satisfying solution to sin in this world. A message of hope. A message that goes beyond the limits of this world. This is the way it's always been. It's the way it will always be. And if this is all there is, he's right. It's completely meaningless. 
You see, I'm convinced that the only satisfying answer to our broken world is the judgment of a righteous God. And yes, I believe there is goodness in God's judgment. Because in that judgment, the wicked will be condemned. They may get away with it now, but there will be a day where they will not. And there will be a day when the righteous, those innocent who are wrongly condemned, will be justified before a holy God. Where whatever is wrong in the world will be made right by God. And no, God is not slow about this promise. In fact, He's patient, not wanting any to perish but all to come to a place of repentance. He wants us to see the sin in the world so that we look at the sin in our heart and we see our need for our Savior. That's what He wants. Because in the end, Jesus is the one who will ultimately have the final word. Let me show you. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And listen closely as we Look at this passage and how it connects so tightly to what Solomon has just been teaching us. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. I might say here, this is Paul speaking on Mars Hill among a bunch of very educated, sophisticated people who look to see life in this world as the only life that exists. And this is how he responds to them in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. But why? Here it is, verse 31. Because he has fixed a day, think Solomon. He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, the first thing we need to understand is what are the times of ignorance? Well, to be quite frank, that's what we're living in right now. We are living in the times of ignorance. It's a time when people exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's where they claim to be wise only to become fools. This is describing man's attempt to find meaning and purpose apart from a relationship with God. Solomon describes it as vanity or futility or striving after the wind. It's all the same thing. It's people who live in this world as if this world is all there is. But God has put us to the test. Every one of us. And He has revealed the sin that is in our heart, calling all men everywhere to repentance. Like Solomon said, there's an appointed time for everything, and that includes God's judgment. And each day we live is one day closer to that day. And Paul says that on that day, God will judge the world in righteousness. And he appoints someone who will demand that verdict of righteousness, the one who has been raised from the grave. What he's telling us here is Jesus Christ is the righteous judge. Now, for those who trust in Him, I need you to know that's really, really good news. Okay? 
the judgment of God is not something that we cower from. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it should be something you long for. Those who've turned to God when their sin is exposed, you should rejoice in the day of God's judgment. We should long to see Jesus because He is the one who took our sins away. In fact, John 3.18, Jesus Himself says this. Listen to these words. He says, He who believes in Me will not be judged. So why would you be worried? He who believes in Me will not be judged. Why would He say that? Because He knows that He took our judgment upon Himself. He took the punishment that we deserved. We will not be judged because He has taken our judgment upon Himself through His death on the cross. See, apart from Christ, our sins are condemned by the righteous judgment of God. Our sin leads to eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. But Jesus came to remove that barrier of sin. Jesus came to reconcile that relationship that every person in this room was ultimately created for. His justice will prevail. And His hope will reign eternal. You see, Jesus overcame the power of the grave. Isn't that what we just sang about? Jesus Christ, our living hope, death has lost its grip on me. We just sang that. Jesus Christ is our living hope. His justice will prevail. His hope really is eternal. So as we finish up this morning and confront the reality of life in this world, and we ask the question, is this world all there is? we need to consider that question is, am I living in the light of some future day? A day of judgment. Am I living right now in this moment in the light of that which is to come? Don't get lost in your own little world and lose sight of that truth. Stop. If nothing more than just this moment, stop and consider what it looks like, what it means to live in light of that day. Let me give you a couple of things to consider as you answer that question. First one is this. Are you surprised by difficulty? Are you surprised when trouble comes your way? Because you shouldn't be. And, and the reason you shouldn't be, because Jesus was very clear. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a part of life in this world. But he goes on and says, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. You should not be surprised by the difficulties that you face, but you should. You absolutely should run to Jesus in the face of your difficulties. So that even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst of the reality of life that surrounds us, we can find security in the hope of God's promise made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ shared an amazing passage, ran across this recently and talked to several people about it since then. You don't need to turn there. I just want you to write down 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Okay, just write it down in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It's a gem. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 
It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. That you always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God is able to make all grace abound to you. That always, having all sufficiency in everything. Do you, do you hear those words? All sufficiency in everything. That His grace will abound to you. I want you to know that when the Bible says everything, it means Everything. You have been given all sufficiency in all things when you have all that you need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our living hope and he is our everything. And when the Bible says everything, it means everything. And that's good news. Which leads me to the second question. Is that where you find your deepest joy? The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus endured the cross because of a future joy. And so if that was true for Jesus... <laughs> Why would it be any different for you or I? There is no doubt. Chris said it this morning. This world is broken. It's not as it should be. And yet, even in the midst of this broken world, we see the goodness of God. We see gifts in our lives that we should cherish. We see moments that we should enjoy. We should see the, the hand of God at work in the lives of his people, but nothing in this world, get this, nothing in this world compares to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the Bible says everything. It means everything. And it's found in him. Remember, our goal is not to make the world a better place. Our goal is to proclaim a deeper joy and eternal hope. Experiencing the goodness of God in everyday life, even in the midst of really hard and difficult times. This past week, I went with Terry and the Haverdinks and the Pruitts, and we went to Watermark Church to learn more about the ministry I mentioned last week called Regeneration. And you could sit down with any one of us today and ask us about that time, and without exception, every one of us would tell you that what we saw stirred something in our heart that made us look at those people and say, I want what you've got. I want that freedom. I want that hope. I want that joy. I want to live in the assurance of the work of Christ in my life through his word, through his people, by the power of his spirit. And I want it to be so manifest that people encounter me, they encounter my marriage, they encounter my family, and they say, I don't know what that is, but please tell me, because I need that. I need that freedom. I need that hope. I need that joy. And I'm praying for us as a church body that we would increasingly become that church. That we would be a safe place for hurting people to find freedom 
to find joy even in the midst of difficulties that may not go away. But when we know that this world is not all there is, it gives us something to long for that this world was never intended to satisfy in the first place, right? See, we share the very same hope. It's the hope of Job when he says this. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand upon the earth. That's what Solomon's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's also the righteous judge. And no, injustice will not go on forever because one day Jesus will make all things right. And until that day, you have everything you need for life and godliness in a broken world. And as a church, we are intended to live out the kingdom truth of God in such a way that this broken world that surrounds us comes to us to learn more about how God changes lives. How he makes all things beautiful. Because that hope is within you when you walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Do you get that? And that's the people we want to be. So we're going to finish this morning with a song we sang earlier, Jesus Christ, Our Living Hope. <laughs> okay? But I want you to sing it with a new awareness and understanding of what we've just learned through our time in Ecclesiastes this morning. I hope that that resonates with you in a new and different way and that you sing those words this morning but in such a way that it impacts every single day this week. Let this just be the start of what you'll do all through the week. So if you would, let's stand and sing together. Okay, I just want you to think about what you just sang. If that's true, if death has lost its grip on you, if Jesus Christ has truly broken every chain, then that should dramatically impact how you live your everyday life. Amen? And it should also motivate you with all your heart to speak and live around those in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in such a way that they understand the hope that is within you. Because how miserable would it be if this life is all there is. And the truth of the matter is, it's not. That we have a living hope. And I pray that you live with that hope every single day. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thanks for honest questions. Man, we need the honest questions of the Bible. Like, why all the injustice? What's wrong? with this world, and you've helped us see what's wrong with this world is the sin in our heart. It's you revealing that we need a Savior, that we cannot live apart from you. And so, Father, I pray that we renew that understanding, we affirm that truth, and that we run to you in the midst of all the difficulties that surround us. We shouldn't be surprised by the difficulties, but we should run to you in the face of them. Believing that you are sufficient in everything. And when the Bible says everything, it means everything. So, Father, may we live that out faithfully as we look at your word, as we are empowered by your spirit and live in fellowship with your people for the praise and glory of your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great day.